0: Good morning. Good morning, New Life Church. <laughs> if you take your Bibles, please turn to 2nd John. Today I conclude this epistle. We've been studying this short letter for the last few weeks, and you may have noticed that 2nd John deals with the same problem as 1st John. False teachers were influenced by the beginnings of Gnostic philosophies. And they were threatening the church with these false um, teachings. But the difference, the strategic difference between 1 John and 2 John is that while 1 John has no specific individual mentioned or, or church that is um, specified, 2 John has a, has a local group or a house church in mind. It's much more personal. And last week we looked at verse 5 to 9, and in these verses John is teaching that the church must be on guard to the deceptive nature of the, the false teachers. We need to be discerning and the only way we can do that effectively is by knowing uh, what is true. Um, so by abiding in Christ who is truth personified. So John is writing to a church that was a loving church. They never had problems with that. Um, this church was Hospitable, they were kind, they were friendly. The church was, was very gracious. And uh, uh, because of that, they were also vulnerable. Uh, the false teachers were going from house to house among John's congregation, seeking to make converts and taking advantage of the hospitality of these Christians in order to advance their, their cause. So John writes this letter to establish the, the limits of our hospitality, to establish the limits of, of our, our love. And what he says and what we've learned already is that we love in truth and we love within the, the confines of, of truth. I mean, we need to be staying loyal to, to that truth. So before we read, I just want to uh, make full disclosure this morning, I, I have relied heavily upon uh, a message that uh, John MacArthur preached on the same passage, which I thought was, was excellent and that we needed to hear this morning. So Second John, um, turn with me to verse 1, we'll read right through to verse 13. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, But the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves. So that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the father and the son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works." Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Well, let's pray before we get into the word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be here this morning hearing your word. I ask you, Lord, please to help us not just to be the listeners, as Brian prayed, but that we would be the, the doers of your word. So I pray, Lord, that your spirit would open our ears and open our hearts to your truth, that we would embrace what you have for us this morning and that you would help me to proclaim it faithfully. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the story of the, the Trojan horse. And I hope that slide is coming up now. The Trojan horse. The Trojan horse. There we go. Okay. Um, so the Trojan horse is a story from the, the Trojan War um, when the Greeks were fighting the city of of Troy and the clever tactics that the Greeks used in order to enter the city and um, to conquer the city. The city of Troy was a very well-fortified city. It had huge, unpenetrable walls that the Greeks could not penetrate. And the story goes, after a fruitless 10-year siege, the Greeks constructed a huge wooden horse and hid a select force of men inside this wooden horse. And the Greeks pretended uh, to sail away, the the enemies, the the whole army pretended to sail away. And the the Trojans pulled the the horse into the city um, as a a trophy, as a a victory trophy. Um, And that night, the the Greek force um, crept out of the horse and they opened the gates for the rest of the army Uh, which had sailed back under the the cover of night, uh, allowed them to enter into the city. And the Greeks entered and destroyed the city of Troy, ending the the 10-year war. And today we hear the words Trojan or Trojan horse in computer software circles, uh, which tricks users into willingly running malicious um, computer programs or or viruses. Similar tactics have been and are still being used by Satan to infiltrate and to damage the church of Jesus Christ. And what happened was in the early church, false teachers pretending to represent Christ. They would travel around and it was a great way to, to make a, a living. They, they went in and they stayed with somebody. They ate their food. Um, the people took an offering for these traveling evangelists, and then they traveled to the next place and so forth. And they just kept getting more money and more money as they as they went along. And at that time, of course, they were representing Satan, and they were undermining the truth, and they were damaging the lives of the the people in these churches. And it seems that a lady from the church that John was writing to, who was wanting to be Hospita- hospitable, she had done this, she had fallen prey to one of these false teachers. She had allowed herself to be put in a very compromising situation, um, a very dangerous situation for both her and the rest of the church. She was giving a place to a false teacher who was implanting himself in the lives of these, of these saints. And so John writes this letter to warn those who were vulnerable. Um, he was, uh, he, John, being a very loving apostle, warns us about the confines of our, of our love. And here was probably a compassionate, tender-hearted, uh, gracious lady and, and her children. They wanted to allow these people who said they were Christians into, into her home. And so the letter is written as a warning. Last week we finished on verse nine and we saw the purpose or the need for protection from false teachers. I want to do what, what any preacher should not do. I want to give you my conclusion first this morning um, to avoid any any misunderstanding of what this passage is, is teaching. You know, this series we have spoken a lot about truth, but I want to make sure that the truth is. Is balanced with, with grace. In John 8, uh, verse 31 to 32, Jesus is speaking to the Jews who had professed faith in him. And he said to them, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the truth is important because it is the truth that, that sets us free. It is the truth that puts light on our situation and our circumstances and on our sin. And it is the truth that shows us that we have a Savior who can save us from these sins. And the truth is Christ came to this earth to set sinners free from the curse of sin. That is indeed good news. The gospel is the good news that there is hope for, for sinners, the worst of sinners. There is the hope of forgiveness. You think about the weeping harlot who was saved by faith in Jesus. There is the hope of reconciliation. You think about the, the broken prodigal son who came home to his father embracing him. There is the hope of holiness. You think of the story of the, the cleansed leper who was touched by Jesus and made, and made whole again. And Paul refers in Colossians chapter 1 verse 23, to the hope of the gospel. And there is no sweeter message of hope in all the world than to hear God announce. And when you get up in the morning miserable and depressed with a, with a sense of, of guilt and, and estrangement before a, a holy God, you can go to bed that very night, this very night, with a quiet and peaceful heart, knowing that every sin that you have ever committed and ever will commit is forgiven. And that you can be reconciled to the Almighty God by the death of his son and that's the free offer of the gospel. I heard a preacher once say that the wonder of the good news which the gospel brings to us must never be allowed through familiarity to lose its fullness and its vigor and I fully agree with that and that's absolutely true but I want to add to that I want to add to that this morning in the context of what we are learning in Second John. The wonder of the good news which the gospel brings to us must never be allowed through false teaching to lose its power and effectiveness. And that's what false teachers do. That's what false teachers do. They water down the gospel. Or they take away parts of the gospel that make it lose its power and its effectiveness completely. And I said last week that the problem with false teachers is that they they undo the work of the gospel. They want us to forget the fact that Christ came to save us from our sins. And false teachers are dangerous because we, we lose our hope if the gospel is no longer effective and able to save us from our sins. And I believe that this is the whole reason for this warning written to us by the Apostle John. So my first point this morning is from verse 9 to verse 11. And we see the the purpose of protection. The purpose of protection. The perspective here in verse 9 through 11 is a perspective of protection. Let me read in verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Remember back in 1 John, the apostle repeatedly talks about the marks of a true believer he said in 1 john chapter 2 verse 22 and 1 john chapter 4 verse 14 and 1 john chapter 5 verse 1 and verse 12 that whoever confesses the son has the father also he has already laid down the reality of this wonderful truth this truth of of redemption And now here in in verse 9 in 2 John, he repeats this important truth. Everything in the gospel comes down to the Son. If you don't have the Son, you don't have eternal life. If you don't believe in the true Christ, you can't be a true Christian. There's no possibility of knowing God apart from knowing Christ. This is the strongest statement on gospel exclusivity anywhere. It's a package deal. In India, during Easter, which we will celebrate next year, uh, sorry, next week, it was the, the biggest attendance in, in any of the churches. And they would have to have four or five services to accommodate the amount of people who would, who would come to church on Easter. We often called them submarine Christians. They would surface once a year when it was Easter or when it was Christmas. But these people were not even even Christians. They they, they were either nominal at best or they were unbelievers, worshiping a completely other God. But they would come to church and pay their respects to to Jesus, the, the Son of God. And that's not exclusivity, isn't it? I mean, that's pluralism. And that's what John was trying to defend here with these people bringing in these these Gnostic philosophies. If you don't believe that Jesus is the only way, you can't be a genuine believer in the Son of God. There's no possibility of knowing God apart from putting your faith and trust in Christ alone. And so verse 9 says... Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Nobody can be saved without the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't even be saved with a, with a warped gospel or a, or a twisted gospel. You can't be saved without believing in Jesus Christ. You can't even be saved without believing in the one true Christ. Remember in verse seven and eight, we learned that Satan's strategy is to deceive. Satan's strategy was and still is to deceive. Verse seven, look there. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. And what do they characteristically do? Well, they do not acknowledge Christ as coming in the flesh. So they've twisted the gospel. Verse eight says, this is the deceiver and the antichrist. And then it says, watch yourselves. You've got to be alert. Be on guard. You've got to protect yourselves. You've got to be loyal to the truth that has been revealed to us in the Scriptures. We've got to be careful. Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, Paul says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And in case you, you didn't get that, look at verse nine. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to your gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. That's repetition there, isn't it? Let him be accursed. You can't get to heaven without the gospel. You can't get there with a warped gospel. A watered-down gospel. Anyone who doesn't acknowledge the true Christ and the true gospel does not know God. And that's a sad thing to think about, especially with Easter coming up. And all those millions of people who will be in church over the Easter weekend. There are people there who will not acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. And He is the only way We do not acknowledge it, they do not know God. The one who abides in the teaching of Christ, about Christ, by what the Bible says Christ is, he has both the Father and the Son. That's what the Scriptures teach. So just because someone uses the term Jesus, doesn't mean they they represent him. My father-in-law was a, a miner, he worked in the gold mines, and he used to say, Gareth, all that glitters is not gold. All that glitters is not gold. And that's exactly what John the Apostle is telling us here this morning. People may represent Jesus, but that doesn't mean that they are bringing the message of Jesus. Deceivers have been sent, remember? They've been sent. And they may well represent Satan. We need to be discerning. We have to look for the truth. We need to know the truth. We need to arm ourselves with the truth. And so, verse 9 says, anyone who goes too far, in other words, anyone who's offering us a different type of gospel, different to, to what? To what the scriptures have told us, to what the scriptures have said, are not from God. Be careful, they are not from God. So, when somebody comes along and offers teaching beyond scripture, we have a problem. We have a problem. 1 Corinthians 4.16 says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Underline that in your Bibles. Do not go beyond what is written. Even Apostle Paul, even Apostle Paul was saying this. Do not go beyond what is written. So that is the principle here of Protection. And when you meet someone who has perverted the truth, who has changed it, who has added to it, who has gone beyond it, act wisely. That's what, that's what John is saying, act wisely. Look at verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. So remember, John is the apostle of love. And he has just re-emphasized loving in verse five and the need for us to, to love one another. But now he says that we should not receive false teachers into our house or give them a greeting. That seems unloving, isn't it? It seems un- unloving, but it's not. It's not because we need to protect each other. We need to protect each other. If this letter was written to a church, then, then house may refer to the gathering of the church, but it also may be a reference to, to showing hospitality to these false teachers by giving them food and, and lodging in the homes of, of the Christians. Let me, let me clarify that for a minute. Um, during this time, they didn't have these fancy hotels that, that we do today. They, they had inns, little motels, inns. Um, but they were often places of, of ill repute, um, remember the inn that Mary and Joseph tried to find lodging in and there wasn't any space available. It wasn't always suitable for people traveling and there weren't many of them. So the church, they would extend hospitality to um, those traveling evangelists and they would bring them into their homes. And, and this was a normal part of their hospitality. And the host was not only giving the guest food and lodging, but also providing um, patronage. He was guaranteeing the rest of the community that the guest was an upstanding person. He was a worthy person. And John says here to act wisely in verse 10. If anyone comes to you, what he's talking about, any false teacher who comes to you, do not receive them. Now John is not saying here that we must not have unbelievers in our house. He's not saying that. We must not use, he's not saying we, we can't use our home to show hospitality to, the, to our friends and our families who are unbelievers. He's, he's not saying it. We need to do that so that we can reach them, isn't it? So that we can show the love of Christ to them. We need to have unbelievers in our home. Remember, Christ had, he had dinner with, with unbelievers. He had dinner with, with prostitutes. He had dinner with tax collectors who were considered worse than, than prostitutes at that point in order that he could share the message of hope with them. Remember the context. Remember the context here in verse 7. John said that many deceivers had gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. So these are deceivers that he's particularly talking about. These are the ones who had been sent by Satan, emissaries of, of Satan. And these are the people we must not allow into our homes who he's talking about. We mustn't give them an audience. This is, not some, this is not someone coming to learn from you or someone who, who wants to know more about Jesus. This is, this is not a, a seeker. This is somebody who has defied Jesus as the, the Son of God and wants to teach you his philosophies. This is someone coming to teach their lies. There's a difference here. Understand the difference. Don't receive these people into your house. So before we point fingers to the, the false teachers, remember this instruction is for us. This instruction is for the Christians. Think about for a moment the kind of false teaching that is able to come into your house through the, the books that we read, through the television and, and the radio and whatever else. I think this is an appropriate application for us here, especially in our culture, especially here in in the Middle East. It's highly unlikely we are going to have someone from any other religion come and knock on our door and ask us if he can come inside in order to teach us his religion. I mean, that is is illegal here. You'll be sent to jail for, for trying to do that. But what about the television? What about allowing those false teachers into our homes? What about the books that we read? What about the, the articles that we read? What about the podcast? What about the, the YouTube channels that we, we watch? What about the Facebook? These are allowing, these are ways, these are vehicles that we can allow this false teaching into our home. And we need to protect our homes. We need to protect our families. We need to protect the church. Notice there in verse 10. Notice there in verse 10. John could have said, don't receive him in your church. He could have said that. But he says, don't receive him into your house. Don't receive him into your house. So the churches were not the first place these false teachers would try and penetrate. Why? Because, well, churches were supposed to be protected by, by elders who were required to be skilled teachers in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we see that they need to be able teachers. So you wouldn't expect a false teacher just to invade the church. He's not he's not going to get in there very very easily. He shouldn't get in there very easily. Unfortunately, sometimes they do. And and that's where they will ultimately want to go, into the pulpit so they can teach false doctrine. That's where they they would like to, to end up. But they don't come there first, they go to the homes. They go to our homes. And the false teachers want to find their way to those who are, are vulnerable. They want to get into your, into your front door. They want to get to you through the, the television or, or the radio. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, it says that these false teachers have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. And Paul says, "Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, the vulnerable, the vulnerable. That's what they do. They look for the weak, they look for the, the sympathetic and the tender-hearted and the compassionate, and they implant themselves there and start stealing these, these people's resources and confusing their, their minds. I remember in India, when we were in Kolhapur, a lady that we were discipling, she said to us one day she was a retired widow, and she was telling us that she had been watching the TV channel there, and she saw um, Benny Hinn, and he was appealing for money, and she was really moved by his appeal, and um, she wrote a, a check to him for 2,000 rupees. Now that, that's not a lot in, in our money, but consider she was a retired schoolteacher. She was receiving 10,000 rupees a month from her retirement, and she gave 2,000 rupees uh, to Benny Hinn's ministry. And she opened her Bible, and, and she took out the check that she had written, and, and she showed me that this check had been sent back to her By the Benihin ministries, because, in their words, it was not enough. She needed to write a bigger check so that they could use it for the purpose of their their ministries. A bigger amount. I'm not making this up, folks. And that is right there, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, the vulnerable the weak, the, the, the tender-hearted, the, the, the compassionate. So we need to be wise. We need to be discerning. Don't let these people into your home. I mean, Benny Hinn wasn't knocking on her door, asking her if he can come and take some money from her. It was on the television. And she said to me, surely that's not right. Surely that's not right. Don't let them into your house. But that's not all that John is saying here. But that's not all he says. They are dangerous. Not only do you not let them in. Look at the end of verse 10. Look at the end of verse 10. Do not give him a greeting. Do not give him a greeting. Well, the King James Version says, do not bid him Godspeed. I like that language. Unfortunately, we do not speak like that anymore. When last did you bid somebody Godspeed? speed? <laughs> this, this was a... a, a a very rich expression. This was an expression of good wishes to a to a person starting a journey. It was originally used to to wish success to someone, but it was like you were saying, "May you prosper, may you prosper." So understand what what the scriptures are saying here. We don't want to bid somebody Godspeed. We don't want to give them a greeting where we are hoping that they will prosper, where we are giving them a blessing for their prosperity. We don't ever want to say that to a false teacher and a deceiver and, and a liar and an emissary of Satan, somebody who has gone beyond what the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ. Don't ever say that to a false teacher. You may say, well, that's, that's narrow-minded, that's harsh. That's harsh. And you may say, well, that's that's unloving. Well, yes, it is. But John has given us the limits, remember? The limits of our love. And how to protect ourselves. We're not just to open our arms to everybody so that we can be attacked by everybody, by some. Nothing is as dangerous as deception. Because nothing is as precious as truth. He's speaking here of, of dangerous wolves, remember? In Acts chapter 20, we read about that. He's speaking of thieves that, in the language of Jesus in John chapter 10, who come to kill and destroy the flock. Any hospitality, any commendation, any acceptance of them would be dangerous exposure to these false teachers' influences. And we can't overstate this. It's their influence that is dangerous. If you ever put yourself in a position in which you give yourself over to these lying teachers, you're in defiance of this text. Remember, a couple of weeks back, I gathered the illustration of a man who knocks on your door who has tuberculosis and he's coughing all over the place. Are you going to allow him into your home so that he can spread that, that germ to the rest of your family? I don't think so. Not if you're a loving parent. You want to protect your family. The quickest way to protect the sheep is to close the door. Is to close the door and do not give them any audience. Do not give them any audience. This is serious. Look at verse 11. John goes beyond this. John goes beyond this. For the one, not the one who lets him in the house, the one who gives him a greeting takes part in his wicked works. Takes part in his wicked works. The word take part can be translated as participates. It's a Greek word for uh, it's a Greek word koinos which means fellowship. And that, that's amazing. Don't show hospitality Don't even greet them. Don't do anything to acknowledge them as Christians. Fellowship. Don't fellowship with these people who don't teach the gospel according to Jesus Christ. Now John Stott, in his commentary on this passage, he observes, and he said, if John's instructions still seem harsh, It is perhaps because his concern for the glory of the Son and the good of men's souls is greater than ours. And because the tolerance on which we pride ourselves is in reality an indifference to truth. I really appreciated that comment there. This may seem harsh to us, but when we look at the bigger picture here, the glory of the Son of God... And the good of man's souls. How important is this truth? How important is the gospel of Jesus Christ? We need to be loyal to this. So unmistakably we are to love the glory of God. And we are to love the good of of man's souls. Not, Not allowing this Trojan horse into our homes, into our, into our church. We are commanded to live and to love in the confines of the truth. We are to be loyal to the truth and to look for the truth in all who claim to speak for God. My last point is in verse 12 and verse 13. He's concluding remarks. And you'll see them. They are, they are full of joy. And that, that's the That's the point there, fullness of joy. And John ends this letter with with another exhortation that reminds us of the importance of corporate fellowship, of coming together as, as a church. You see it in verse 12 and in verse 13. It's a concluding remark. He reminds us that the fullness of joy is experienced only in fellowship with other believers. Look at verse 12. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. What kind of joy is he talking about? Well, he's he's spoken about this plenty. He has repeated himself plenty. The joy that he's talking about is the joy that is produced by knowing the truth. By the truth. Now, John says. In First John chapter 1, verse 4, These things I write unto you, that your joy may be complete. It's the truth that produces joy. Remember in Luke 24, verse 32, when the disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus, and, and they had just been taught by, by Jesus. And what did they say? They said, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us? all the way I mean that wasn't physical fire they were the, their hearts were burn, burning with with complete joy and complete satisfaction because they had been learning the truth from Jesus himself Jeremiah 15 verse 16 says your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and a delight in my heart I hope that's what the word of God produces in you, folks. It should. The truth produces joy. John says the fullness of joy is connected to the knowledge of truth. The truth of God, folks, is life-giving. It is life-giving. It saves us. It sanctifies us. It assures us of eternal glory and it protects, us. it protects us from the devil. And so we need to live in the truth. We need to love the truth. And we need to be loyal to the truth. And John's saying that he longs to come to these Christians. And that he and they might know the joy of, of face-to-face fellowship. You see, John knows that fulfilled joy in, in the Christian life is, is connected to Very personally, not only to communion with God, but also communion with each other. And that's why belonging to a church is so important, folks. We are not saved to be independent Christians. We are saved to be part of a body of believers. He is the head. We are the body. We work together for His glory and for our joy. There are so many Christians today who say, well, I can worship God. I just do it on my own, on a golf course, in nature, or on a boat, or when I'm fishing, I'm communing with God and and what he's created. I worship God. I don't need a church to worship on on a Friday. And John says there's no joy there. There's no truth there. I mean, we can have fellowship over with, with each other in, in smaller home groups and we do that all the time but there's something special something much more joyful, something much more, more rich when we are together and that's why we are joining with um, Grace Church next week when we have the Easter service so we can experience this, this fullness of joy in the Christian life we cannot do it without fellowship we need each other We need to gather around together the Lord's table and partake together. We need to be doing that as the church. We need to be observing baptism together, showing the means of grace and that's what we'll do next Friday. And I hope you'll join us early in the morning, seven o'clock, encouraging those who are getting baptized, those who are professing their, their faith. Come and be part of that wonderful fellowship. We need each other. We can't be indifferent about fellowship with one another. We need one another. And God God did not intend us to grow in grace or experience joy apart from one another. And that's why he says, I long to be with you, to come to you and talk face to face. It's one thing writing an email, isn't it? Or writing a WhatsApp. But it's something completely different, talking to somebody face to face. And John knew that. And we should know that. That's why we need to come together. And John longs to be with these Christians. Now don't you love the greeting that he gives you? The greeting of the sister congregation at the end of the end of this letter, and the children of your chosen sister greet you. Isn't that a isn't that a beautiful way for one church to send a greeting to another church? But you see here that the greeting itself rests on this union, on this fellowship that we have in Jesus Christ. Our fellowship, our friendship should be based on the Lord Jesus Christ. Our greatest friendships should be based in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know we have friends in different circles, and I'm not saying that's wrong. But when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, our deepest and most greatest and most satisfying friendships should be with one another because of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the whole principle of fellowship that he's talking about here. We love each other. We care for each other. We want to help each other. We want to encourage each other. And we need to be protecting each other. This principle of protection. We need each other's help. We need to protect each other from the the Trojan horses that want to hurt us. And want to take away our joy. We need to be reminding each other and encouraging each other of the glorious hope that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. We need to be pointing each other to the gospel of our Savior. In John 8 verse 31 and 32, Jesus was speaking to the Jews who had believed. I'm repeating this verse. He said, If you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's what we need to be encouraging each other to do, folks. To stay on the right path, to look to the truth, not to believe the lies of the devil that will cause us to become depressed, that will cause us to become anxious. We need to be pointing each other to the truth. It's the truth that will set us free. We cannot afford to be indifferent to the truth. The truth sets us free. Our opinions don't set us free. Our philosophies and our emotions will not set us free. Our experiences will not set us free. It is the truth of God's word that will set us free. And together... As a church, we need to be loyal to this gospel truth. Together as a church, we need to be defending the gospel truth. Together as a church, we need to be proclaiming the gospel truth. Why? Because the gospel is the only hope that this world has. Because the gospel is the only hope that we have. And we forgetful people, are we not? We need to be reminded of the work of the gospel, even in our own lives. Preaching the gospel to ourselves. Preaching the gospel to the world. Don't ever forget the fact that Christ came to save us from our sins. The only hope for the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news. And the good news is that there is hope for sinners The worst of sinners, the hope of forgiveness, the hope of reconciliation, the hope of holiness through the cross of Jesus Christ. The wonder of the good news which the gospel brings to us must never be allowed through false teaching to lose its power and effectiveness. Let's pray. Father, we do pray this morning that you would burn this truth on our hearts. Father, that we would be committed to what the scriptures tell us about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would love the gospel. That we would be loyal to the gospel that we would defend the gospel from the philosophies and the false teachings of this world, that we would point each other to truth, that we would be hopeful people because the truth is setting us free. Lord, I'm sure Satan has his strategies and Satan wants to turn us away from the truth of your word to believe in our own experiences, to believe in our feelings, to believe in our emotions. But Lord, your word is truth. May we hide your word in our hearts that we may not sin against you. May we love your glory and may we love those who are lost and dying who need this gospel truth. So Father, we pray that you would protect us from the devil who would want to destroy us, who would want to destroy our homes, who want to destroy our marriages, who want to destroy our relationships, our friendships, who would want to destroy our church. Protect us from the father of lies and help us, Lord, to be examining the real thing more and more, studying the real thing more and more, pursuing the real genuine article more and more, so that we would know you better, that we would be effective witnesses for the gospel, that we would know truth so that we can proclaim truth, that we would be effective witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So thank you for this warning, Lord, that you've given to us. Help us, Lord, to heed the warning. Those who have ears, let them hear. And help us to apply this, Lord to our very own lives. For the sake of your great name and for the joy of all your people, I ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.